Hey there, and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan, and beside me is Ben, and we thank you so much for joining us as we continue our road um, uh, down the passion while being young at heart. Oh my gosh, you know what? I messed that up. Anyway, welcome to Young Nostalgia. It's great to have you here. Um, It's great to be recording again, and uh, today, episode 29 coming at you, and uh, you know, we're trying to stick with the times, and since the Olympic Games just ended this past weekend, we're actually going to do an Olympic um, games edition of Young Nostalgia, where we talk about the ancient games, kind of leading up to the modern times, and uh, how the Olympics um, have gotten to where we see them today, as well as uh, breezing through some very historical moments throughout Olympic history. Without further ado, Ben, how you doing, big guy? Uh, it's been a long day, but I'm above ground, so that's good. How are you doing? <laughs> I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, I'm not doing too bad today at all. It's been a pretty good day. Um, all right, man. So let's get into it uh, so so we don't uh, drag on too long. Ancient Games, what you got? All right. So the ancient Olympic Games uh, were centered a lot more around religious aspects of life than kind of what we see today. It was religious and athletic festivals. Um, they were held every four years at the Sanctuary of Zeus in Olympia, Greece. Um, taking part in the competition uh, were representatives of several city-states and kingdoms of ancient Greece. Um, The games featured mainly athletic but also combat sports such as wrestling um, and the uh, Pancration I I think I'm having a brain fart on that Uh, Pancration (laughs) Horse and Chariot Racing Events Which that'd be kind of cool if they brought that back. Horse yeah, I mean, and cherry I, racing. I agree. I totally agree. Especially, uh, it'd be so interesting to see now. But you know, the Olympic Games is really held around the the idea of of competing for each other for the gods, like the mythology of, of Greeks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's right. called Olympics, where you know you got Mount Olympus, where uh, the Greek gods kind of hung out. Um, <laughs> I guess. Uh, easy way to put that. They hung out. Yeah, they were just hanging out. <laughs> That's what I was laughing <laughs> at. <laughs> uh, it is widely believed that during the games, all conflicts actually among um, the participating city-states throughout Greece were actually postponed. So anything from wars to uh, trade embargoes or anything like that that might have happened, um, they it was commonly believed that they were actually put on hold. But actually, it was that's actually you know false truth i guess um what you could say so they actually called it the olympic peace or olympic proof but this idea is actually just a modern myth because the greeks never suspended any of their wars mainly what happened is that they could have safe travels between the city states Mm -hmm. but they could still just keep on beating the crap out of each other so like let's say if uh you say hey i'm going to the olympic games to participate then you have safe passage but other than that it's all free game right it's just something that kind of evolved over time into this grand you know, legend, you know, how everything kind of over time becomes bigger than it actually was. And so, you know, there was kind of writings were talking about this Olympus, Olympic piece, but if you look back through history and actually follow the uh, chronological order of, uh, you know, the wars and, and the uh, historical milestones of the wars, n- you know, there were never any breaks in time during, you know, the, the Olympic time. So, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of doesn't really match up. 
Not really. Uh, so the most widely accepted inception date for the ancient Olympics is uh, 776 BC. Um, and this is pretty much based off <laughs> inscriptions uh, found at Olympia, which uh, was also found uh, with a list of winners of a foot race held every four years starting in 776. So, you know, that's kind of what we're basing this off of. There was nothing ever found that says, hey, this is when we uh, decided to get together and start this. It was more of like that's the oldest known records of Olympics. So we're assuming that's when it started. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so the ancient games um, kind of we talked about it a little bit before, but um, going back to it, they featured running events, um, a pentathlon which consisted of a jumping event, discus, uh, javelin throws, a foot race, and wrestling. Um, there was also boxing, wrestling, the pancatron, uh, and equestrian events. <laughs> Neat. Which, I mean, I, it's funny <laughs> just to, just to hear wrestling in there, like what, like figuring out these guys if they're wrestling in um, toga toga sheets. You know what I mean? Well, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I think most of the events. I don't think there was a whole lot of clothes involved. I think the wrestling was pretty much like <laughs> oiled up and naked. Well, I'm not a I'm not a historian, but I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> supposedly how it was, which would be a little weird. Okay. But uh Oh my god. You know, I could see that. <laughs> Things were just different. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> huh. uh, oh my gosh. So uh, overall, the Olympics were of fundamental religious importance, featuring sporting events alongside uh, actual ritual sacrifices honoring both Zeus and Pelops, uh, the divine hero and mythical king of Olympia. So kind of piggybacking off of that, the Olympic Games reached their peak in the 6th and 5th centuries uh, back in the BC, but then gradually declined in importance as the Romans gained power and influence over Greece. So while there was... Uh, no scholarly consensus, consensus as to when the games officially ended due to Greece losing um, its power. The most commonly held date is around 393 AD when the Emperor Theodosius I decreed that all pagan cults and practices are eliminated. And from there, kind of documentation um, doesn't really show that the Olympic Games continued. Right, and it's kind of, you know, makes makes sense that you know it would end around this time anyway because that's kind of what the olympics were based around anyway is the uh you know the old uh i guess greek mythology which i guess it wasn't really mythology back then but you know what i'm saying um and so you know if all that stuff was getting kind of scrubbed out then it makes sense the olympics would as well yeah like like the tradition of the greeks um kind of being washed out yeah Mm -hmm. exactly um, so kind of after that, there was, uh, an extremely long period of not really anything Olympic related. There was, whether it was just Greece or worldwide, but, um, kind of popping up in the 17th century, we started having, um, kind of smaller uh, events that were reminiscent of the Olympics. Um, so various uses of the term Olympic to describe athletic events in the modern era have been documented since the 17th century, as I said. Um, 
with the first the first noted event being the Cotswold Games or the Cotswold Olympic Games and that is Olympic spelled O-L-I-M-P-I-C-K which was an annual meeting near Chipping Camden, England involving various sports Um, and a little bit of background on that it was first organized by the lawyer Robert Dover between 1612 and 1642 um, with several later celebrations actually leading up to the present day so it's something that's kind of still observed whether it doesn't it's you know not too notable but it's still observed nonetheless yeah um dang it i had a thought and i can't remember where i was trying to go with it uh i guess i pulled the bend on that one i think oh yeah we're just gonna move on (laughs) so um continuing after uh the robert dover um organization of the Olympic Games um, the, or, the, or the Coswald Games, um, there was the Olympiade de la, de la République, a national Olympic festival held annually uh, from 1796 to 1798 uh, in, in revolutionary France, also attempted to um, emulate the ancient Olympic Games. So what it was, it was kind of just um, a revival of what the Olympic Games kind of stood for, I guess, but mainly just in France, and it happened every year from 1796 to 1798. So the competition actually included several um, disciplines from the ancient Greek Olympics uh, being carried over. So the the, the 1796 Games also marked the introduction of the metric system into the sport, I'm guessing in terms of um, how they measured distance um, and, and kind of measured time or... You know what I, I know what you mean. You know what I, mean? I, I certain measurements. Okay, I understand. <laughs> I was just I I was just booing the metric system. Not, oh, not you. I see. Not you. I, not thought, you. I thought you were booing. I thought I thought you were booing my explanation. Oh no no no! Just the metric system. <laughs> okay. I mean, you could boo my explanation too. That's okay. Uh, well, maybe. Well, okay. It, <laughs> 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 Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was mean. I'm sorry. In 1850, um, <laughs> there was it was called the Olympian Class, which was started by William Penny Brooks at uh, Mooch Wenlock in Shropshire, England. Um, these words are really tripping me up here. So, <laughs> in 1859, um, Brooks later changed the name to the Wenlock Olympian Games. Um, and this is this is kind of another uh, annual sports festival that continues to this day. Um, you, you know, like like the rest of these, it tends to be uh, rather small. It's not like it's a worldwide observed event. It's more local than anything else. But it, it's kind of cool that it, it, it's still still being observed. Yeah, I agree. And and then sometimes you almost think how these kind of traditions uh, continue to today. I, you know, it's almost just a preliminary thing to. Uh, qualifying for the actual Olympics, like the national, the international Olympics. It's something where, you know, if I win the Wedlock Olympian Games, I got a pretty good shot. Right, right, yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, you, what you said is prelims almost. You know, it's, that, that's a good, that's a good point. Thanks, man. That was really nice to you, you know? Well, I got to be nice sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to move into. The birth of the modern Olympic Games uh, and kind of where it got its foundation. So, 
The Greek interest in reviving the Olympic Games actually began uh, back when the Greek War of Independence um, got kicked off with the Ottoman Empire in 1820-something. Um, Somebody deleted the number. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> anyway, no, 18, I think it was 1852. 1852? Yes. Okay, all right. So, anyway, Greek interest in reviving the Olympic Games, let's back up a couple couple steps, began when the Greek War of Independence from the Ottoman Empire be, um, happened in 1852. So, Evan Zappas, a wealthy Greek Ramonian philanthropist, first wrote to King Otto, of Greece in 1856, so offering to fund a permanent revival of the Olympic Games. And in 1890, after attending the Olympian Games of the Wenlike Olympian Society, which we talked about previously, Baron Pierre de Coubertin was inspired to found, found the International Olympic Committee. And so the IOC is kind of what we know today as the governing body of the Olympic Games nation um you know worldwide mm-hmm. in terms of they're the ones that take bids from countries on where it's going to be hosted they kind of draft up the policy and the the rules and what's admitted what's not admitted um and, and things like that in terms of the both the summer and the winter olympic games so coberton built on the ideas and work of brooks and zappas from the past with the aim of establishing internationally rotating olympic games that would occur every four Years so really, Coberton was the one to to really lay the ground groundwork in terms of how the Olympic Games are going to be organized, how often they happen, um, and and really just kind of making a body that can put it all into one place so things are carried out the mm-hmm. same the same way every four years. Right, and and it was uh, Zappos in, in, in Greece that, you know, kind of sort of got the ball rolling, but it was very, very local still. And until, like you said, Coberton came along and really kind of set, laid the groundwork for the, uh, the, the worldwide scale that we, that we see the Olympics at today, which is, which is pretty cool. It's a pretty big jump. You know, it's not like it kind of goes, Definitely. you know, maybe across the whole continent and then across the hemisphere. It just kind of, he made a, a big leap there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> so the first games held under, um, under the IOC, uh, were hosted in the, uh, Panathenic, stadium in Athens in 1896. So not that long after, um, the establishment of the IOC, uh, it was still, you know, the, the grand scheme was large, but it was still, uh, relatively small, I guess you could say. Um, the games brought together 14 nations and it only had, uh, 241 athletes, um, that competed in 43 different events. Uh, Zappas and his cousin Constantinos Zappas um, had left the Greek government um, a trust, a trust fund to basically kind of help the Olympic Games get going, um, which is, you know, that's something you don't see a whole lot. I mean, now we think about it, it's just sponsored like crazy to pay for all of it. 
Um, oh yeah. But back oh, then yeah. there needed to be a, a substantial cash flow cash flow to get something uh, get something like this rolling. All right, so moving a couple extra steps forward. So after the Ben was talking about the big funding, um, mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge hurdle to get over because to be able to get the resources and everything to have stadiums and organize the events, um, you know, police the events, things like that, and have officials. That's a big, big money money drainer, I guess you could say. Um, you mm-hmm. know, that's almost a topic for a different time. I won't get on that, but we'll we'll keep on powering through this. So after the success of the 1896 games, uh, the Olympics entered a period of stagnation that threatened their survival altogether. The Olympic Games held at the Paris Exposition uh, four years later in 1900 and the Louisiana Purchase Exposition at St. Louis in 1904 were um, pretty much just sideshows in terms of the the span of what the Olympic Games were. They were they were smaller in nature. They they weren't as well known. Right. I mean, there was there's relatively low attendance. There was a relatively no low number of competitors. Um, the uh, what do I want to say? The the facilities for the Olympics were pretty much uh, a barren. It was just kind of scraped together as something you know, more or less just something to do. Um, and uh huh. And uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, the St. Louis Games at around this time as well. There was a huge jump in athletes compared to what it had been later years. In earlier years, excuse me, um, we had 650 athletes. But I thought it was a little bit interesting that 580 of those athletes were from the United States. So there wasn't a whole lot of uh, competitors traveling abroad to come to come to the this Olympic Games. It was mostly. Um, it would, well, the vast majority of them were actually from the United States. Yeah, no. And it's fascinating just because the the lack of representation of the games like this. I mean, when you think about it back in 1904, um, you know, it, it's in 1906, it's hard to hard for nations to travel that far to mm-hmm. be able to compete in this. Um, especially for I don't know how long it might have been a month or so at that time was the how long the Olympic Games were. Mm-hmm. That's a lot that you know the the nations would have to figure out and plan to send athletes over for them to participate and then bring them back as well. Um, along with the lack of you know local support, where how hard is it going to be of you know civilians of Norway or Germany to be able to travel all the way over to the U.S. just to watch? You know, a lot of it was. Americans watching Americans, and that's kind of how it turned out. Yeah, and you know, even just on the, you talked about planning a little bit. I mean, just with communication not being as easy as it is today, just planning an event like this would be uh, much more difficult. You know, I mean, there were still ways of communication, but it took a little bit longer. And it would, especially when you're trying to put together like this worldwide event, you know, that's not easy to reach out to a lot of these countries to get athletes to come over here in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not at all. All right, going forward. So the games actually rebounded back in 1906, um, intercollected games, um, where oh, what they so-called because they were the second games held within the third Olympiad uh, were held in Athens. And so the 1906 games held in Athens had a rebound, 
uh, for what the Olympics stood for worldwide. The Games attracted a broad international field of participants and generated great public interest, marking the beginning of a rise in both popularity as well as the size of the Olympics. And so Ben will tell us a little bit more on over the years it's gotten so big that the entire world almost has their eyes on it, where when the Olympics come around, whether it's summer or winter, almost all of everything on the news is something about medal count or something extravagant, something revolutionary has happened or a record was broken. Um, And and that's kind of how we see the Olympic Games today. Mm -hmm. So looking at the the, the stats for uh, 2012 Summer Olympics, um, and you know that's a a good benchmark. It's you know it's going to be more or less similar, um, you know, in later years after 2012. But 2012 Summer Olympics, um, there were competitors from 200 or there was 241 participants um, representing 14 nations. Um, excuse me, excuse me, I just butchered all of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, in the 2012 Summer Olympics. Uh, there were 10,500 competitors from 204 nations. Um, and that's in comparison to the 1896 Olympics, where there was 241 participants representing 14 nations. Which, I mean, that is just a astronomical jump um, from what it oh, used yeah. to be. Um, the Winter Olympics... Uh, it's grown. Uh, it's grown a lot as well, but just the overall scope and scale um, of the Winter Olympics is still substantially smaller. Um, so, for example, the Sochi Olympics hosted 2,873 athletes from 88 nations, competing in 98 events during the uh, 2014 Winter Olympics. So, I mean, as we can see, it's still quite large. Um, but it doesn't have the overall uh, gigantic numbers that the Summer Olympics do. And another thing that um, kind of has grown uh, over the years is the Olympic Village, um, which is where the majority of the athletes and officials are housed during the Olympic, the Olymp- a time of the Olympics, excuse me. Um, the village is intended to be a self-contained home for Olympic participants, almost like a home away from home. Um, it's furnished with uh, cafeterias, health clinics, uh, it has various locations for um, religious expression and gatherings. Um, which, I mean, that that's almost become as extravagant as the Olympics as well. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's not, they're not just kind of throwing Olympic athletes into random hotels a lot of a lot of times they're building gigantic complexes just for the olympic athletes to stay yeah i mean when you think about it the olymp the olympians who compete competing for the olympics and things like that that's their job you know they get sponsors (laughs) they they go out they train all year long every year until the next olympics Mm -hmm. yeah and that's and and so it makes sense that you know that's they have it's they can't be just waking up in a uh you know a ten dollar a night you know motel <laughs> and going out and doing these yeah like almost superhuman things <laughs> um so i mean they gotta be have to be comfortable in a place where they can uh get well rested and and all of that um so the ioc mm-hmm. um 
also allowed the formation of national Olympic committees, uh, which are representing nations that don't necessarily meet the strict requirements for political sovereignty and other international organizations demand. Um, and so this is a this is a way that um, not necessarily countries, uh, territories in general that are um, n not necessarily their own sovereign country can still send representatives to the Olympics. Um, this would be like uh, Puerto Rico, for example, and, and other places like this that, you know, they aren't either aren't big enough to really be in that uh, kind of compete with the big countries or they aren't actually countries, but they're still different in some way to where they aren't going to be sending their representatives you know, as a different country. Um, and I know that sounds really confusing. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but, uh, <laughs> basically the end result is colonies and other dependencies are still permitted, um, to send athletes to the Olympic games. Perfect. Couldn't <laughs> said it better myself. <laughs> Probably could have. <laughs> Wouldn't have been hard. All right. We're going to wrap up the, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to wrap up the episode with uh, huge historical moments throughout the Olympic uh, history throughout the past. Uh, a big one to mark here is female athletes actually were permitted to compete in the first time for Olympic Games back in 1900 when it was held in Paris, France. So a total of 997 athletes uh, competed and only 22 were female. But still, yet again, it, I mean, it's awesome to see that in the beginning of the modern Olympics, as we know it, it was it was awesome to see that just within the first two Olympics, females were uh, permitted to compete. So back then, uh, well, I guess I uh, shouldn't have spoke too soon. Back then, they were only allowed to compete in five sports, tennis, sailing, croquet, equestrianism, and golf. So in the <laughs> com compare that... Compare that to the 2012 games back in London, where the first um, in which women completed in all sports that were on the program. So any new sport, and they also added it into the policy of the IOC that any new sport uh, to join the Olympic program uh, throughout the rest of the Olympic Games must have female competitors, no matter what sport it is. So the, a lot has changed, but it, you know it took up until the 2012 Olympic Games in London which is the first time that women competed in all sports on the program. Well, up until then, they weren't necessarily not allowed to compete in everything, though, I don't think. But it was more of they just didn't necessarily have competitors uh, in all of the in all of the different sports. I mean, I don't I I, I don't know exactly when um you know, when the requirements for certain sports was lifted but i'm pretty sure that in 2012 yes it was the first time that they competed in all of the sports but i don't think they were leading up to them they weren't necessarily barred from i other see sports. okay i i i misunderstood okay which all i mean right, I think it's still right. relevant right. i was just making a, a note that a note of that so yeah oh definitely i think i think you're totally right <clears throat> all right so we have another one in 1936, which is pretty interesting. Uh, this is when Jesse, Owen Jesse Owens defies Hitler. So this was the 1936 Summer Olympics in Nazi Germany. So, um, 
you know, looking in the point of view of Nazi Germany, this was supposed to act as a showcase for Aryan racial supremacy. Um, but the most successful competitor at the games was a famous, uh, well, he's, now he's famous, uh, black athlete Jesse Owens, um, an American. Uh, and he is now regarded as one of the greatest Olympians of all time, both for the nature of what he did in the era and just his overall athleticism. Um, so Owens given advice by German athlete Carl Ludwig Long, um, who would go on to finish in second place. Um, after the event, Long was the first to congratulate Owens, and the two walked arm in arm to collect their medals. Which is awesome. I mean, you could even see uh, some footage from this, from from this monumental occasion, and and it's awesome because it's almost like you know both Jesse Owens and Carl Ludwig Long were just kind of giving the bird to Adolf Hitler, and it was <laughs> it's pretty neat. Um, especially for that time period. Because I think this was the last peaceful Olympic Games um, before the World War II broke out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 1936, it would have been, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so next one. Very, been. very interesting. It is. Yeah, the next one would have been 1940, which is, you know, uh, it, was spo- it was already starting to get pretty dark. Uh-huh. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to round out the show with uh, historical moments in Winter Olympics since the Winter Olympics just ended. So first ever Winter Olympics was held in uh, Chamoin, yeah, France in 1924. It's always weird with French because if they put an X on it, it's usually silent and you're not really, I don't think you're supposed to say it. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> okay, all right. I didn't even know that. Uh <laughs> Um, all right. The first little awesome historical moment uh, was when the U.S. team was nearly shut out of gold medals back in the 1968 Olympics in Grenoble, uh, Grenoble, France. So Peggy Fleming actually saved the day for the U.S., winning the figure skating gold almost towards the end of the entire Olympic Games. It was the first skating win since the tragic Sabana plane crash that killed the entire U.S. figure skating team um, en route to the Olympics in 1961, which was horrible. Wow, that would that would be uh, I don't I don't even know what the I don't even know what that would be. That would be pretty horrific, you know, a, a, a tragedy anyway. But especially, you know, everyone's getting pumped up for the Olympics, um, and then something like that happens, which ends up killing, you know, the entire team. Which that that would be, uh, that would be pretty tragic, you know, not it only is. for the people, yeah, but for very just much so the United States in general. <clears throat> very much so. So, at the 1976 Winter Olympics in Innsbruck, Austria, um, Austrian Kranz Klamer shocked the world by recording the fastest downhill skiing time in history. Um, and <laughs> it's kind of interesting, the crowd was so enthusiastic um, that he actually needed police protection to, you know, make sure he was safe from the, the crowds that were trying to swarm him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it probably doesn't make it even 
even easier that it was held in Austria. And here you got the Austrian skier coming downhill, making the fastest time in recorded history. And uh, everyone kind of swarms him because all excited. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> I don't, it seems just, I don't know, that's the kind of thing you expect after like, you know, the home team wins the World Series or something like that. But I don't know. <laughs> it just seems kind of weird after a skiing event for people to be so uh, pumped up about that. But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it was their country and it's pretty cool that it's the fastest uh, skiing time in history. So I guess you can kind of relate to it. Yeah, definitely. Get hype, man. Get hype. <laughs> Dab on tweet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was terrible. Uh, in 1980, the U.S. team defeated the vastly superior Soviet Union hockey team. Uh, I know which we've talked about in, our, in one of our This Month in History. So it was en route to the Olympic gold that the U.S. team um, defeated the Soviet Union hockey team. So the game, uh, which the U.S. won 4-3, to three, was dubbed the Miracle on Ice. And I, I really love this one. You know, I'm not... Uh, a hockey fan by any means. I'm actually, I probably never watched a game of hockey in my life. Um, but I, (laughs) I love the miracle on ice just because just for, for what it was, you know, the, the, the tensions at the time. And, you know, even if there wasn't the huge tensions there were, I mean, it's always great, you know, to beat, you know, the Soviet union or well, the Russians now, I suppose either one, it's always fantastic to beat them (laughs) at anything. Um, (laughs) And especially the way we did it too. I mean, they had this, this all out, basically professional team and we sent just a bunch of just hockey players pretty much, um, (laughs) never should have been competing with, with those guys and ended up beating them. And it's just fan freaking tastic. Yeah. It's awesome. It's it's one for the storybooks for sure. (laughs) Um, the next up we have the Jamaican bobsledding team, (laughs) um, which was competing for the first time at the Olympic games, uh, stole the headline in 1980 in the 1988 winter Olympics in Calgary, Canada. Um, the team crashed in the four man event, but was cheered as they pushed the sled across the finish line. (laughs) Well, this was money, really monumental. I mean, if you think about it, a uh, you know a country like Jamaica's, you know, it'd be hard to train and everything like that. But yeah, you know, this you, event, how are you supposed to th- practice this event? That? I this event, you know, inspired the the movie Cool Runnings, which I've seen years ago. But it's mm-hmm. great, um, just, just like the inspirational story behind it, and and the banding together of a country to to support themselves, like to support this team, as was uh, phenomenal. And actually. Check this out. In 2018, uh, it was the first female Jamaican bobsled team to compete in 2018 Winter Olympics. So oh, So that's really? kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Yeah. Did they crash? Yeah. No, I, no, I think I think they finished it out. Okay. Uh, it would have been even more interesting <laughs> if it went the exact same way. Oh my god. Well, I don't uh, know. Are you saying I, it? Are you are you telling me it wouldn't be interesting if the same exact thing happened? No comment. <laughs> I'm not like ragging on them. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just kidding. Would be yeah, quite it, it would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the 1998 uh, Winter Olympic Games in Nagano was the first to feature snowboarding. So a measly 
20 years ago snowboarding came about in the winter olympic games that's all that is to the, that historical event i don't know much else <laughs> that was one that just go hmm okay so uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay moving on we have uh in 2002 uh speed skater steve bradbury won australia's first ever winter olympic gold in history um which <laughs> is another kind of funny one when it happened when every other <laughs> racer fell during the final stretch and he came zooming forward and took the gold <laughs> hey man you know what if it gets you there it gets you there i mean you got to do what you got to do I mean, a win's a win doesn't it, matter how you get it yeah i know <laughs> yeah yeah uh, uh, all right, so Sean White, who took headlines back in 2010, uh, he led the historic showing for the U.S. team uh, back in the Winter Olympics, like I said, back in 2010. So while White defended his gold in the snowboarding halfpipe competition, the team won an unprecedented 37 medals throughout the 2010 Winter Olympics. That's insane. 37. And I think we didn't even break 20 this year. Yeah, this year wasn't uh, wasn't going so hot. Well, I, I mean, I guess uh-uh. 20's not terrible, I suppose, but set the bar kind of high with 37. Yeah, I mean, Norway <laughs> killed it. Norway did great this year. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it. I don't know. It, it kind of makes sense that, you know, countries countries that tend to have a more climate that's more conducive to these <laughs> winter sports, it kind of makes sense that, uh, you know, they do really well. Not that we don't have areas yeah, of the definitely. United States that are like that, but you know, <laughs> you you kind of wonder why like the Jamaican bobsledding team, while they didn't do so hot. Well, <laughs> how many opportunities do they have to practice before every winter Olympics, you know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but Hey, <laughs> all right, finish us up. All right. In 2018, just earlier this year, um, it's kind of interesting. The South or South Korea and North Korea competed in the Pyeongchang Games just as Korea. So they basically basically they competed as a single country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was interesting, especially in terms of the opening ceremony that they all. <laughs> They all walk together, too, so they were actually recognized as Korea, which was interesting. Yeah, well, no one's kind of railroading this this topic here, because he's cracking himself up over here, because no. he's, like, pulling his shirt up and playing with his chest hair. <laughs> you weirdo. Oh you, wanna, uh, you weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was trying to mess you up, all right? Uh, I... I <laughs> No, it's easier to mess you up. You messed yourself up. <laughs> I can't be oh messed up. Oh my gosh! I can't be distracted. I'm the most focused person. I don't. On I don't believe. I don't believe that. I don't no, believe you live that with because me. sometimes you just can't even. Sometimes you can't even remember what you're trying to say in the middle of a sentence. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us here at Young Nostalgia to talk about our passions for the past while being young at heart that's episode 29 the olympic game edition of young nostalgia i hope you enjoyed it kind of uh seeing where the start of the olympic games uh you know happened and and how it changed and where it is now especially with amazing monumental events 
throughout Olympic history, but especially Winter Olympics, since they just uh, concluded. And like I said, I believe Norway took the win uh, this year on um, the most medal counts um, for the past week of the Winter Winter Olympics. But it was great fun, um, and congratulations to all the Winter Olympic um, athletes out there. It's amazing what you do, and it's great to watch um, all of you guys' passions for the sport, as well as uh, continuing um, your your uh, pride in your country. It's great to hear. So anyway, that's Young Nostalgia uh, for you. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. Anything else, big guy? Nope. I think we, I think we, uh, we had a good time talking about the Olympics, even though we kind of went off the rails, uh, towards the end, but you know, it's kind of, kind of seems as our common theme on some shows is we, uh, we just totally lose composure and just, start screwing everything up like that thought right there like i can't even put a uh, coherent <laughs> thought together it's not messed up it's a great show it's fun all right as we always say here on young nostalgia uh keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays <laughs> full take care everybody